Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Timberlake Church. My name is Carlos Ortiz. I'm our senior leader here. And it's always a pleasure to bring God's Word. Uh, we're, we're, we're in a different season uh, here, here at Timberlake. You know, we, we, we had this few weeks of, of Mother's Day, and then we had a, a relational series, and then we had Father's Day, special guests. And as we were talking, Pastor Ben, myself, our creative team, Talking about what is the next series going to be coming out of that? Because we have people watching online. We have people on our campuses. We have here, right here at Redmond, here in the room. What, is, what are the issues of life that we need to address? And actually, Pastor Ben you know, spoke up and he said, yeah, I really feel like we should do this series called Hacked. And so Crave Team and I and Ben just started working through what does this look like. And I really want to encourage you this month. And I know some of you are like, hey, July 1st, I came on the first day. I got my quota in, right, for the month. I'm going to challenge you to, to, to come as regular as you can because this is going to be a very practical series. And Ben and I are going to be very intentional about really equipping our church when it comes to our lives being hacked. And what does that look like? And this week we're going to talk about our decision making in light of when we get bad news. Our decision making whenever something comes and attacks, tries to steal our joy, steal our money, steal our wives, steal our kids. Sounds like a country song, I know. But it's really what's our response whenever we have these hacks happen in life. And so as we talk about that today, I want you to make sure you take out your notes, follow along, because at the very end is a little bit of homework. Now some of you are like, I did years of homework, I don't want any more. But this homework is different because it's not something you turn in. It's something you engage with, maybe at home with your spouse, significant other, maybe your roommate, maybe your mom and dad. There's some questions at the end for you to ponder and process post-message. So this month as we jump into Hack, I want to make sure that you are engaged as possible and so we're trying to make our notes fit that same model so that we can engage God's word and we can be challenged and encouraged and feel confident that when something comes to try to derail us, what is our response? So with that being said, we're not going to address the things that actually attack, attack us. You already know what those are. We're going to address is how do we respond in decision making, our emotions, talking about contentment, talking about community. What is our response to these things that overtake us? And so when I think about uh, Hacked, I, I just did some research and I was reading some articles. And one of the articles I read said by 2019, three out of every four American adults will have been hacked online. A victim of identity theft in some form or fashion. Now many of you in the room, actually that's your job. Your job at Microsoft or whatever company is to, to protect the rest of us yahoos who keep opening those dumb emails we're not supposed to open, right? And you're like, gosh, if you would stop, you're not making this any better. But even though some of us are tacticians and we know how to protect people online, what happens when our real life gets attacked? There's sickness, there's divorce, there's issues with raising kids. There's financial issues. How do we respond accordingly to these hacks of our life? And so I was thinking about 11 years ago, 2007, my wife and I were, you know, we're, we're a lot younger than we are now. And uh, we're trying to buy a house. And uh, one of our friends who built this great business uh, had, had somebody who bought a big house. 
and put a lot of money down and uh, bought all, paid for all the upgrades cash. And then this company moved him and it was non-refundable. So he calls Libby and I, my wife, and he says, hey, I'm going to sell you this house and there's already $125,000 worth of equity. And I just want to do this. I've already got the money. I've already been paid this, and I just want to do this to bless you guys. And we're like, oh, this is amazing. You know, because we are pastors, and it's a lucrative business, and where do we invest our money, you know? We're really thinking, how do we kind of shore up our retirement a little bit? And man, $125,000 worth of equity, we buy the house, it's exciting, and then 2008 happens. And all the equity's gone. And we have to make some decisions in, life of, in, in light of this hack. And, and we, we, looked at, we looked at the landscape of what was happening in our country 10 years ago, and some people were walking away from homes, and they're able to do that. And some people filed bankruptcy, and they're able to do that. And so as Libby and I were contemplating, what is our response going to be? Because we don't have the money to pay for all of this. We felt this gentle voice saying to us, just pay your bills. What a novel idea, right? Pay your bills. And I wish I could tell you that three months later we got a check in the mail, and it was a Holy Ghost moment. Like the Holy Spirit just sent an invisible check that went into our account and we paid off everything. No, it took eight years. But our response was the response for us. So how do we respond when these things happen? So recession hit and everybody had different responses. Very similar to John chapter 11. Now it's not in your notes, but I want you to write it down and I want you to read it if you get a chance this week. John chapter 11. And here's what's happening in the story. It's a guy named Lazarus. And Lazarus and his sisters are actually close friends with Jesus, right? And so Lazarus, Jesus gets word that Lazarus dies. And uh, the one thing everybody has in common in the story is that they all agree, for the most part, that Lazarus is dead. But the response was so different depending on who you asked. Mary and Martha, Lazarus' uh, Lazarus's sisters, their response was to blame Jesus. Jesus, this is your fault. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. I mean, can you imagine the gall for somebody to blame Jesus? Some of you are like, yeah, I do it all the time. Right? But that's what, that was their response. Why? Because they were hurting. And they were in pain. They lost a loved one. So it's natural to ask that question. Jesus, if you would have been there, this wouldn't have happened. And then Jesus' disciples, their response was, they could care less about Lazarus or his sisters. They didn't want to go back to his hometown because they didn't want to be persecuted. They were looking out for themselves. You ever have friends or family that when hard times come, they bail on you? And these are Jesus' disciples. And then you had Jesus' version of internet trolls. The crowd who has the opinion about everything. They don't do anything, but they have an opinion about everything. And you know what their response was? Well, if this is really the Savior of the world, and he can heal a blind man he doesn't know, and he can't heal a friend that he has, what kind of Savior is that? Then you get Jesus with the fourth response. And Jesus is like that ultra-positive friend that annoys you sometimes. And Jesus is like, oh, no, no, he's not dead. He's just sleeping. And everybody's like, you're losing touch with reality, Jesus. He is dead. He's in the tomb. He's long gone. He's like, no, no, no. He's just napping. One event, four different responses. How often does that happen in our life? An event happens and you and your husband have a different reaction. Or you and your parents have a different reaction. Or you and your roommates have a different reaction. Because when hacks come, we have different responses. The moment an interruption begins, we have natural responses that can stifle us. 
And it's this range of emotion. So let's talk about a few of them and see where you fall on the spectrum. So the first one. The first one is the overreaction mode. Maybe you are that person. Something happens and you just want to jump in. Somebody has to have the blame. Somebody's fault. How do we fix it? You don't even want all of the details. You just want to know, let's fix it now, and you overreact. And sometimes we can make a decision that's counterproductive to the actual hack. And then there's the opposite of that. There's inaction. Some of us literally get frozen and stifled when hard times come. Now, I love my mom. And you're like, well, why are you saying that first? Because I'm going to make fun of her a little bit. I love my mom. She's amazing. She really is. My mom is an amazing, short Mexican woman. She's amazing. She makes the best tortillas. She's been making them since she was eight years old. She has these Popeye forearms <laughs> from making tortillas for all those years. And I love it. Can't wait for her to visit and gain some weight, right? And uh, my, but here's the deal with my mom. When she is in a frightening situation, she has a physiological response to fear that she freezes. That's not very comforting when you're five years old and you're scared of something or something happens and your mom can't move. She literally cannot move. There's, but some of us, when hacks come, it stifles us that way. We have an emotional response, a physical response, a relational response that freezes us. How about the next one? A laissez-faire attitude. Some of us are like, ah, whatever happens, happens. If it's written in the stars, it's written in the stars. And some people close to you might think you don't care, you're not passionate, because you're just kind of laid back about it. Then there's the opposite of that. Those of us who are emotionally charged when we get hit in the face with life. Unfortunately, that's me. Something happens when I'm not expecting something. My natural reaction is anger. I just get upset. It's just normal. I earned this line in my forehead. Why? Because when I was three days old, my mom said it started forming. She's like, you were an angry child. And I grew up to be an angry adult. And I've had to work at managing my emotions because I overreact. I'm emotionally charged. A few weeks ago, uh, you know, I have five kids, and so they pick on each other. It's pretty normal, you know, sibling rivalry. But when I see a kid, the older kids really pick and really do damage to a younger kid, like, I get so upset. So we were in a friend's pool the one sunny day we had a few weeks ago, and uh, we're swimming, and my older kid did something to my younger kid, and I just... I like dunk her under the water. I'm getting upset. I'm responding. I'm like, don't do this. This is what it feels like. And now I'm the bully because she was the bully. You know, that whole cycle. And she probably learned it from me. And so I, I'm realizing that right now as I say it. And so, yeah, she learned that from me. And so I, got, I get on to her. So we get in the car, and we're driving in separate cars, because when you have seven people in your family, you take multiple cars. And, uh, and so we're driving, and the 12-year-old was picking on my 7-year-old. My seven-year-old looks at me. She says, Dad, I'm really disappointed in you. I said, why? I can't believe you talked to my sister like that. She's like, you're so ungrateful. I was defending you. I was defending you. I was defending your honor. I was, she's like, yeah, but, you know, you probably shouldn't talk like that. She had these long, she has this long, curly, pigtailed hair. I'm like, tell me why. She says, because honestly, that was between me and her, and it really wasn't any of your business. <laughs> She's my child. She goes, I really think you should apologize to her. My seven-year-old. 
And so we stop at the next stop, and I get out, and my wife's driving the other car, and I go, to, I go to the back door, and I open it, and I apologize to her. I didn't want to do it, but I had to apologize because of my natural response, emotionally charged. How about this one? Some of us have no control. We feel like we have no control whenever life happens like this, and we just feel lost. And then we go the opposite. Some of us are control freaks. Once something happens that we're not expecting, we take the rest of the controllables and we want to control them. And if we're not careful, we begin to choke the very thing we say we love. It could be your marriage, it could be your kids, it could be, it could be finances, and you control and you, and you just want to take hold of it because our response is to take hold when we feel lost. How about this one? Just like Jesus, some of us see the positive right away in everything. Somebody fires you and you're like, oh, praise God, that was awesome. You're about to lose your home. I didn't like the house anyway. And then your friends are like so annoyed by you. Like, can you just live in reality a little bit? Because the opposite of that is what? We disconnect from reality. And some of us have very healthy ways of disconnecting from reality. We go on a hike. We go on a bike. We, we, we go do something to disconnect and kind of gather our thoughts. But if we're not careful, our disconnection from reality can also lead to alcohol abuse. It can lead to unhealthy forms of dealing with the reality of our lives. So we have these natural responses, and they're natural. But my question for you is in the notes, and I put it there on purpose. How do you respond to the unexpected? How do you respond? How do I respond? And what kind of pressures do we face? Let's go through a few of those, and then we're going to get to what the Bible says about us. Some natural pressures is, is I want to do what's right and not do what's wrong. This right versus wrong thing. My wife and I... We talk about this because my wife grew up Catholic, and so everything is either right or wrong. I grew up Pentecostal, and everything's gray. Just the way it is. So I kind of live in the gray, and she's like, no, we can't do this because it's the wrong thing. I'm like, wait, it's not wrong. Well, it's wrong to me, so it's wrong. And sometimes it can stifle decision-making because not everything is always black and white. We want to do the right thing all the time, and it stifles us. How about this one? Time constraints. Maybe your husband served you papers. Because he wants divorce and you feel the pressure of having to make a decision in a certain time. Maybe somebody's trying to force you into early retirement at your job. And you have to make a decision of what you're going to do. These time constraints add pressure to our decision making. How about this one? Seeking perfection. Some of us, we lost plan A, so plan B has to work. It has to work. There's no such thing as plan C. I have to make plan B work. How about this one? We want to be fully informed. So we gather a lot of information, and we Google a lot of things, and we gather, and we gather, and gather. And if you're not careful, you gather so much information, we don't actually do anything with it. My wife and I, we, we, we used to argue about it, and now we laugh, because uh, one of our kids would get sick, and my wife would like go on like 50 medical websites. What are the symptoms? And I'm like, by the time you figure it out, babe, our kid is going to have another disease. Like... Let's get him to the doctor. And she's like, yeah, but I want to be informed. But sometimes we can have too much information. And then there's our motives. Do we ever take time when something difficult happens to check our motives and say, why am I doing this? When we were moving to Seattle, my older kids, 17 and 14, sat us down and they said, Dad, we're going to do whatever we're supposed to do. We've already visited. We met Ben and Terry. We've, we've got to get to know the church. But we have a question for you. What are your real motives? I'm like, what do you care? You're 17. You know, what, what does it matter? 
But do we take the time to ask ourselves, why am I going to respond the way I feel I'm, I'm going to respond in light of this life hack? And the last one is, sometimes we get stifled with the pressure of other people. You know how many times I've talked to women who make life decisions based on whether, what is their mother going to think of them? And it stifles you. Or what is that mom in the neighborhood who shames everybody else on Facebook going to think about your decision? That's a real deal. My wife says, I don't respond very well to people like that. The people who want to stop you and tell you how to raise your kids. You know those people? I don't respond very well to that. I'm like, oh, that's great. You have your one kid. I have five. <laughs> have fun. And then my wife's like, you're not very nice. They know you're a pastor. I know. I know. <laughs> but we have these pressures. Quick story. And then we're going to get into God's word. In, in 1912, Jim Thorpe, loved the story, uh, Native American, was running in the Olympics. And he wakes up the day of his gold medal race. And uh, somebody stole his track shoes. And this is the ultimate stage, the world stage. He's Native American. He's faced all sorts of pressures. And uh, somebody steals his track shoes. And if that were me, I would throw a fit. We're like, pause the race. Like, we got to fit. I'm going to steal somebody else's shoes. Like, we're going to do something. You know what Jim Thorpe does? He goes to the trash can by the place he's staying. And he looks in the, tra- in the dumpster. And he finds two shoes. And they're not even a pair. And they're dress shoes. Leather dress shoes that are different sizes. He puts on double socks on the other one, and that day he runs a race and gets the gold medal. Gosh, I want to respond like that. But I don't. I want to tell a story like that one day. Man, when I was, this is how I responded, but I don't. Why don't I? Because I'm human. So what does the Bible say about our responses when life hacks come? Four things, and then we'll get moving forward. Number one, it's, it, sounds like a, it sounds like a broken record, I know. But the Bible says to trust God. To trust God in the middle of difficulty. Because what's the alternative? To trust yourself and your own confidence. You already got yourself in the situation. We already know what you can do. Why not trust God? The passage for this one is Proverbs 3, 5-6. Trust in the Lord all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight and how many times do we trust in our options and then when we run out of options we go to God and could we flip the switch and say God I'm going to go to you first even though I have options I'm going to go to you I'm going to trust you I'm going to partner with you for the decision I have to make in light of this hack that's happened in light of the bad report I got this week of cancer, the bad report about my kids, the bad report about my job. God, I'm going to go to you first and trust you before I trust myself. So trust God. Number two, don't attempt to walk alone. And I want you to write that one down. If you're not normally a note taker, that's fine. But on this one, I want you to, I want you to see yourself write this phrase, don't attempt to walk alone. Why? Because the the, the alternative is to trust in yourself and to be isolated. I saw somebody post a few days ago that they were celebrating like six months of not really interacting with other humans. And for some of you, that's like a dream. Like, oh, yeah. 
And for, I guess for six months, he's ordered all those groceries online. Everything's come in the mail. Uh, he works from home, so he hasn't really had to venture out. And I wonder, sounds really great until you actually have a life hack happen and then you're by yourself. We've, we've got this culture of isolation, and so no wonder you're hearing all the statistics of depression and suicidal thoughts because we live in a culture where we want, we want to be isolated. And I, let's be honest with you, that's not how Jesus, how the Word of God, how God intended us to live. He intended us to live in a community. And you've got to know at Timberlake, there's so many opportunities. I mean, young adults just started this last week. We have growth groups coming up. We have Discover Timberlake in a few weeks where other people just like you are trying to figure out their next right steps. So many opportunities so you don't have to walk alone and so I don't have to walk alone. Where are the scriptures on that? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And I know that rhymes, but that was not on purpose. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Ever have a thought or idea until you actually say it out loud and it sounds like the dumbest thing you've ever said? You have an invention and you tell one of your friends and they're like, nobody needs that. Because in our minds, so many things make sense. But when we're not in relationship and we're not actually having conversations, we lose touch with a little bit of reality. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, For lack of guidance, a nation falls but victory is won through many advisors. Who are the advisors of your life? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you've been through or not been through. Who are the advisors of your life? A couple years ago, I wanted to join a growth group. And uh, so when I joined, I joined this men's group. And uh, the average age in the group was 60 years old. I think I was 39 at the time. And my wife's like, why are you joining this group? I'm like, because I already know what it's like to hang out with a bunch of yahoos my age. I need older guys who have wisdom, who have been through some stuff. I need some wisdom in my life. So I joined this group and we're hanging out. Again, the average is about 60 years old. And so I wanted to introduce a new way to communicate because everybody's wanting to do phone calls. Who does phone calls anymore, right? It's like text message and whatever. And uh, so we start this text message thread. A year later, we're on our way moving here to, to Seattle. And so we're saying our goodbyes. And if you could see the text message thread from these 60-year-old men... You would laugh so hard. Because you would have thought I'd been 14-year-old teenage girls. They're sending emojis to one another. Love you, praying for you. Like, who are these guys? But inside every person is a need to connect. And I know a lot of these men went 60 years without a true connection. But we, we formed a group out of it. Why? Because we're not supposed to walk alone especially in decision-making. How about the third one? Not only trust God, don't walk alone. Number three, seek out wisdom. We've got to seek out wisdom. Proverbs 18, verse 15 says this, The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. For the ears of the wise, seek it out. Do you seek out wisdom? Or do we make decisions based on our limited information? The next verse, uh, 1320, says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. you got to walk with the wise. You know, when, when, I, when, I, when I met Libby, uh, she was way more, she was, you know, she's younger than me, but she's way more mature than I am. And I was in my senior year of college and hanging out with my college buddies, and we go skiing, and we play video games, and we don't change our shirt for four days, and there's mustard stains on it. You know, that whole, that whole college experience that you're paying a lot of money for, that's what it's about. And so I meet her, and we, we're getting serious, and, 
and uh, she says, you know, I love your friends. That's not a great way to have a conversation, right? I love your friends, but what? They don't make you any better. You're, about to, you're all about to graduate college and go into the real world and work a real job, and they don't make you better, and you're not making them better. These are my buddies. I mean, we're, we're you know, fraternity. We're like, we, we just got this thing going on. And, and Libby's like, yeah, but I'm not looking for a fraternity. I'm not trying to marry a fraternity, brother. I'm trying to marry a man who's going to help me raise a family. Well, that got my attention. Obviously, I married her, so it was a great decision. But I had to make some decisions about life and the company that I keep. And we're still friends because eventually they grew up. Just like I did. Because you have to surround, and I have to surround myself with people who are wise. Did you know that every, after every single service, there's somebody available to pray with you? To help you with wisdom? We have a staff in the lobby. If you just stop one of us and say, can you pray with Of course we're going to pray with you. But how many times do we walk in and walk out in isolation? Instead of seeking out wisdom from other people. And the fourth part one is this. Have faith. For the right outcome. This faith for the right outcome. Uh, so if you're a supervisor, you oversee some people, uh, and you say we have a $1.5 million project, you don't want somebody who's your, your project manager to look at you and say, okay, so we're going to take this $1.5 million, and here's the plan. And you know what? We just hope it works. No! You want to control the outcome. You want to make sure that we're going to have a product at the end. It may not work, but is it going to get us down the road? But sometimes in life we do the same thing. We take our life and we just try things just hoping it will work out. When God's intention is that we would take our life, we would trust Him with it, we would seek out wisdom, we would have relationship, and we would have a partnership of faith for a better outcome in our decisions. Paul, the Apostle Paul addresses this in Philippians 1, verse 4 through 6. He says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this. How many of us can understand that when we're facing a life hack, a lot of times we're not confident. But when we partner in a relationship with somebody, when we partner with our growth group, when we partner with our spouse, there are times my wife has to look at me and remind me that she's there. She's like, you don't have to do this alone. Why are you locking me out? When you have those relationships, even when you lose confidence, like the Apostle Paul saying, they can have confidence on our behalf. Somebody in our church emailed this week, very embarrassed that they had to email. But they were at the end of their rope. They said, I'm so, and they apologized to half of the email for sending an email about needing help. I ended up seeing them at Saturday night service, and I stopped her and I said, don't ever be embarrassed for seeking out help. That's what this community is about. Somebody can step in and be confident. And then he finishes the verse with this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What God has begun in you, it continues to happen even when the life hack seems to knock us off our rails. I'm going to close with this story, and we're going to pray together. I told you the story about Jim Thorpe and uh, how he won the gold medal, even with leather shoes that weren't matching with socks and 
And there's a famous picture online. If you look it up, there's a picture online. You can see the shoes. But let me tell you something about Jim Thorpe. He did not win the gold medal that day. The date of the gold medal says 1912. But that's not when he won the gold medal. You want to know when he won the gold medal? He won it as a child. He was, he was a victim of racism as a Native American in Oklahoma. At nine years old, his twin brother died. A couple years later, his father died. Right after that, his mother died. And then he's an orphan living from family member to family member as a Native American, not really wa- wanted anywhere. So when he woke up that morning of the Olympics and his shoes were stolen, he probably had this thought, it's not the hardest thing I've ever faced. The thing you're facing now, you won't win in one day. But every decision you make leads you to the gold medal that God has for you. If you can trust God with the process. When the hat comes, can you pause and say, God, I'm going to trust you. My tendency is to control this thing. My tendency is to do my thing. But God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to find a community. I'm going to seek wisdom. And I'm going to have faith. Your outcome has a higher percentage of working out than it ever would with a natural, carnal response. Will you pray with me? God, as, as we talk about these hacks of life, I know we've, we've laughed a little bit and, and uh, we've talked about certain situations, but the reality is we're doing this series for the people of Timberlake. Whether they're watching online or they're in a room somewhere at one of the campuses or right here at Redmond, we know without a shadow of a doubt that we have people who are hurting because real life hacks have come and robbed of joy, of health, of relationship, of money, of mental health, of the joy of having grandkids. There's so many things that have come to rob us because we're human and we live this life. And yet, can we take a deep breath and in this moment know that you're with us and allow you to be with us. Allow ourselves to take a deep breath and stop striving so hard and let you be the good father you desire to be. With every eye closed or every head bowed, if you would say today, Pastor Cross, I've never actually made that profession of, God, I, that I trust God, that I want to take that next step in God. I've never acknowledged, I've never humbled myself and said, I am in need of Jesus. I am in need of a community of people who believe in God. But if what you're saying is true, that I don't have to have all the answers and it really is a journey I'm willing to acknowledge that today is my first step in the journey. And if that's you, and you want today to be the first day of many in our community, in a community of believers who are going to support you and be there for you, and you want that first step, will you do the simple action of just looking up at me right now, wherever you are, and just, just look at me until I can acknowledge you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I see you. It's okay. Yeah. Lord, I thank you for, for those people who took that step of faith, who raised their heads and acknowledged they needed to take that first step. I thank you that we have steps for them to take and that we're going to partner with them, but I also thank you for those of us in the room who've already taken that step and yet life seems to be falling apart. 
and there's things we don't understand. Help us to acknowledge you first. Help us to stay connected. <laughs> help us to seek out wisdom and advice. And help us to live full of faith that you are with us. And that you're not forsaking us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.